ago um, made me realize uh, how much I love our church and I love to worship with you. But David and I had the experience this last week to worship every night. We had a worship service except for one to worship with uh, 1200 covenant pastors all in one place in the grand ballroom at the Hyatt uh, there at the O'Hare airport um, to have those 1200 men and women uh, lift their voices of praise and thanksgiving to God. It was it was beautiful. It really was. And uh, just made me realize what a joy it is, what a pleasure it is to be part of the kingdom of God. And so I want to welcome each and every one of you here this morning to our new series entitled Character References. Here's a definition from the dictionary. Character reference, a noun, a summary of somebody's abilities and personality, especially with regard to personal integrity or trustworthiness, usually written by a person in authority who knows the subject of the reference well. Character references are letters of recommendation. Whether an individual possesses specific character traits that make him or her ideally suited for a position. That's the way we commonly know character references. In this series, as we look at the book of James, and we'll look at this with pretty much depth over the next 11 weeks, uh, we're going to discover what character traits God encourages us to experience in order to live our lives faithfully in a dying and broken world. That's what character references is all about. And each week we'll look at another character reference that God believes from his word that we need to experience and have possess in order to live faithfully in a world that is um, tempting, a world that is tumultuous. A world that is in terrible disarray. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. How do we live victoriously in an adversarial world? How do we maintain our faith and witness when the world is marching in the opposite direction of what God's word speaks about? What do we do? How do we live? That's the question. And these are the questions that James addresses in his book about character, the book of James. Now, this is not about theology. We talked about that last week. This is not about philosophy. This is not about a focus group or support group trying to figure out how we're supposed to live our lives. In fact, it's a time in the world when everything is going wrong. It's a time in the world where uh, bombs are dropping and bullets are flying and Christians are literally being dragged out on stretchers It's a time in the world when everything seems to be up against, pushing up against anyone who believes in Jesus. That's the context, the milieu in which James writes. Now, last week we looked at a kind of an overview of the book. And we talked about this idea of adversity, which is the theme throughout all of James. And one of the things we mentioned was that you will experience adversity in life. It's a human condition. It's not something that you can avoid if you behave really well. It's not something you can avoid if you're a really good Christian. Adversity is a part of life. You will, not if, but when, experience adversity. That's what the text showed us last week. Also, we looked, about, we looked at the fact that adversity strengthens our faith. 
Adversity is, is like a pressure uh, in our lives. And it's, uh, we use the, um, uh, the analogy of uh, muscle, muscle, physical muscles being toned and built. And you do that through resistance. Okay? You build your muscles through resistance. You put pressure on your muscles and you feel them swelling and getting bigger. You experience, um, with, because of adversity, you experience bigger muscles. And that's what we need spiritually. We need spiritually bigger muscles. And that comes through resistance, through adversity. We also discovered last week that testing of our faith develops perseverance. Now, perseverance, we, we gave you a picture of perseverance last week. Uh, Gabrielle Anderson who was running the marathon in the Los Angeles Olympics in 1984. And that very disturbing picture, and I remember it when I was a younger man in 1984, and even seeing it last Sunday a couple of times, uh, this person just kind of staggering and wobbling and her knees buckling and just barely crossing the finish line before she fell into the arms of one of the attendants. And it just gave you the picture of what it means to persevere when... Bombs are falling all around you and bullets are flying and you just can't even get out of bed. You don't have the ability or the strength to take one step more. And then we also looked last week at the fact that those who persevere will receive the crown of life. And we close the message by telling you from the original language that phrase, which means that he will persevere you. He will persevere you. He will stand beside you. He will pick you up when you fall down. He will sometimes push you. But he, Jesus Christ, will persevere persevere you. Now, in the first half of the first century, around A.D. 45, uh, one of the earliest books in the Bible that was written, the Epistle of James. One of the things that we see on the resume for a person that lives in this dark and difficult day is the character, the characteristic, someone who can face trials and flee temptation. So that's the character quality we're going to look at today. Someone who is able to face trials and flee temptation. That's the characteristic that uh, we'll spend some time with in the Word today. So let's read uh, from the text, and we'll be reading verses uh, in the first chapter, verses 13 through 15. This is the Word of the Lord. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after this desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, if we want to be the kind of engaged believers, if we want to be the kind of people that are in the game in spite of what's going on around us, the one whose character will sustain us, the character that will sustain us in hard times when bullets are flying and bombs are falling, we have to be able to face trials and flee temptations. To do that, we must understand the enemy, uh, Satan, and how he can be victorious, he can, uh, how we can be victorious when tempted by him. The text implies, and this is something uh, that maybe you haven't heard before, but the text implies something that I call the sin cycle. The sin cycle. And uh, let me explain what the sin cycle is. The sin cycle begins with, as you would expect, temptation. 
Temptation, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, when it comes to temptation, we have a tendency to want to blame somebody. I'm tempted. It must be God's fault. Uh, the Bible says clearly it's not God that tempts us. Well, then it must be the devil's fault. Remember, how many of you remember Flip Wilson from the 1970s? And what was his phrase? The devil made me do it. Okay, I was, I was, and it was funny. It was, and the reason, you know, why it was funny because we all believe that. <laughs> if something went wrong, if we were tempted, well, the devil made me do it. It wasn't really my fault. And we see that in in Genesis chapter three in the Garden of Eden. We see the the ancient art of passing the buck. You know, God confronted uh, uh, Adam about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, "Well, Eve made me do it." You know, it wasn't my fault that I was tempted. Eve made me do it. And Eve said, well, it wasn't my fault. The 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 uh, uh, serpent made me do it. And the serpent said, well, it's not my fault. It's your fault, God. You're you're the one that put that tree there. So so everybody is wanting to blame somebody else for that temptation. But in verse 14, we read something pretty dramatic and pretty stirring. Listen to what it says. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away. By their own evil desire and enticed. So we're tempted by our own evil desire. Now, desire is the subject of that sentence. That's what they're talking about, is desire. And we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own evil desire. Now, the phrase dragged away in the original language means to be carried away. And it's a hunter's term. A hunter's term where... Uh, you bag something and you you lead it into temptation. You compel it. You lure it so that it can be shot. So that's a, a hunter's term. Uh, if you've ever uh, been around Andy Carey, uh, Andy usually comes to second service. Andy, are you here right now? I don't think so. He comes to second service. Um, he has this horn that's an elk horn that when you blow it, it's supposed to entice, lure elk. Now, it doesn't do anything for me. But it seems to do that for elk. It's some kind of a mating call. And so, so he uses that. That is something that is, um, would be defined as uh, this tempted by their own desire. Dragged away, carried away. It, it's a hunter's term. Um, but then the word that's used after that is enticed. Now, this one I, I understand a little bit better. This is a, a fishing term. Enticed is a fishing term. And um, it means to bait a hook. In the Greek, it means literally Uniquely baited. Uniquely baited. So um, here it says that we are dragged away and enticed by our own evil desire. Is talking about some kind of a designer bait. A bait that is uniquely baited for you. A bait that is uniquely designed for you. Now somebody may not have trouble with the things you do, but each one of us are enticed. And drawn away by our own evil desire. So it's something that the enemy, Satan, has specifically in mind for you. Something that maybe somebody else wouldn't be tempted with, but you are. I'll give you an example. When I was uh, uh, gambling, um, that was a, a unique designer bait that Satan put in front of my nose. It sounds ridiculous to many of you because you don't have an addiction to gambling, but it wasn't ridiculous to me. It was a, combina- a kind of a confluence of... My self-image based on my inability to keep my family safe. When, we, when Tyler died, that was what I dealt with as a man. 
How, I, I'm not able to keep my family safe, so I was dealing with that. I was dealing, I have a lot of ability and uh, talent in mathematics. So, and, and all gamblers think that they can beat the system. And, and also we, had, we needed, had needs for money. So all of these temptations kind of were, uh, came together in that perfect designer bait for me. Now, thank God, I don't have trouble with alcohol or other chemicals. I've never been attracted to that. That's a bait that may float by my nose. I won't bite it at any time. Or having an affair, thank God, I haven't fallen into that trap. But the idea is that the devil knows exactly what bait I need. Let me give you an example. In Minnesota, uh, my friend Dave Nordine introduced me to lake fishing. Now, I grew up in uh, Southern California fishing in the ocean with my father. And so when I was introduced to uh, lake fishing, uh, David taught me that different fish like different kinds of bait. There's a unique bait for each fish. For instance, walleye like what, Minnesotans? Leeches. Okay, I know it sounds gross. Walleyes love leeches. And you put a leech in front of them and they're going to snap at it every time. But trout don't like leeches. They like minnows or flies. Uh, bass like worms. Northerns like anything. And a catfish, will, an old boot will do. So every fish has this kind of, they're baited uniquely. And so this metaphor works for me. A different fish are uniquely drawn to different baits as human beings are as well. So this metaphor works. My personality, I grew up, again, in Southern California fishing in the ocean. And so whether you were catching bottom fish or game fish, like yellowtail, albacore, uh, bonita, barracuda, uh, when you would set a hook, you would set a hook. I mean, you would, and that's kind of my personality anyway. If I like something, I like something. You know, I want it. And, and that's kind of that addictive personality. And so, so in the ocean, that's the way. I, and so when we went fishing for walleye for this first time, Dave Nordine helped me bait the hook correctly with a leech uh, and uh, dropped it down to the bottom. And he said, jig it. So I went down there and I jigged it. And, and uh, pretty soon I got a nibble. And as soon as I got a nibble, I went like that, you know, thinking it was a, you know, a 40 pound cod or something, you know. And so I reeled it up and all that was left of the fish was its lips. Uh, I, I caught its lips, you know. Yeah, I literally, it's, it was a terrible thing. I pulled the lips off of the fish. And David said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, you, that, you have to be more subtle. You have to be more subtle. He said, uh, you have to just, uh, when you jig, you're just kind of moving the bait off of the bottom. And the fish, and when a walleye comes, he kind of tastes it. And he smells it. And you keep it kind of moving. And he might even put it in his mouth and kind of get the feel of it. Does it taste right? Does it smell right? Uh, is it is something that, that I want? Is it something I desire? And then, and then pretty soon... He bites it and swallows it. How many times in your life have you had that designer bait for you? And if you don't have one, see me after service because your designer bait is probably being truthful. Uh, if, 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 if you, this thing that floats by your nose, um, it, it smells so good <laughs> and it looks so good and it even tastes so good. And it's just, oh man, if only I had this thing, then my life, I would be happy for the rest of my life. If I only, this delicious leech that's just standing there right in front of my nose, this opportunity to go to the casino is just, just 
sitting right there. It's, if only I could just taste that. I mean, it smells so good. It looks so good. It, it tastes delicious. If only I could swallow that, then I would be happy for the rest of my life. Satan knows your uniquely baited desire. Time after time. And then when the hook is set, guess what? You've just transformed from a temptation into a sin. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So here we have these unique baits that are bouncing in front of our noses. Affluence, pornography, alcohol, sex, gossip, jealousy, anger, greed. Each one of them is uniquely baited or something else for you and for me. And the enemy knows exactly that. Now, when I was growing up, um, one of the first stories I heard in the Bible as a little boy was the story of Jesus calling the disciples to follow him. And we learned a song. Uh, Maybe some of you remember it. I will make you fishers of men. Sing it with me. Fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. And then we sing that and, boy, I believe that. And because God uniquely gifted me with the gift of evangelism, I really believe that song with all my heart. That God has called me to be a, a, a fisher of men. That I want to reach as many people for Christ as I possibly can. And when you were a little child growing up, you saw, yes, that's me. I'm signing up for that, God. But, he, but here's the truth of that. There's another song that we didn't sing. And that other song, and there's not a real song to it, but the other voice that we didn't realize at the time was that there's somebody else fishing out there too. They're not, not just Christian people that are fishing and, and reaching people with the gospel and with Jesus and sharing the good news of Christ. There's another fisherman out there. He's called the enemy. He is called Satan. He is called Beelzebub. He is called the devil. He is the one who is constantly out there fishing as well. And you know what? He knows what your bait is. He knows what your bait is. And he bounces that in front of your nose. This is called what we call the addiction cycle. He bounces that in front of your nose. And you know what? With the devil, when he, uh, when he hooks you, there is no such thing as catch and release. He does not believe in catch. It doesn't matter how small the fish is or how big, how young the fish is or how old the fish is. He doesn't care at all because he is in it for one reason. Because everything that God does, being fishers of men, Satan has a counterfeit. Satan has the opposite. And so this designer bait is floating in front of us. And it says, this is for you. If you will just taste this, if you will just uh, smell this, if you will just embrace this, this will change your life. This will satisfy you for the rest of your life if you will just taste it. So he drops a little gossip by your nose, a little envy, a little jealousy, a little addiction. The Bible says that we are enticed, that fishing term, drawn away by our own evil desire. Ask a walleye how that works out. Now, let me stop here. This is just kind of a side note. Uh, This bait, this leech or minnow or worm or lure, this bait looks like, tastes like, and smells like food. Now, I know this sounds simple, but to me, as I was studying a couple weeks ago, this is a profound truth for me. The bait is designed to look good, smell good, 
taste good. The bait is designed to look like food to you. It is designed to appear to be something that will satisfy you. It is designed to look like something that if I only can partake of that, I will then be satisfied and sated and I will be full and I will be able to live my life happily. But bait is not food. It's bait. It is disguised as food. It looks like food. It smells like food. But bait is not food. Do not come to believe that there is something that will satisfy you completely. Because if you have discovered that anything but Jesus, if you have discovered something that you believe will satisfy you completely, I guarantee you it's bait. Enticed, drawn away by our own evil desires. So temptation is the bait. Now, let's remember here, temptation is not a sin. <laughs> temptation is not a sin. We are all tempted. That's part of having a, a being born with original sin, and that's part of being living in a sinful, broken world. Temptation is not a sin because Jesus was tempted. We know that. He was tempted, but he did not sin. So don't get the idea that if you're tempted, you're doing something wrong. Just like that walleye recognizing that bait as something that will satisfy his needs, you need to swim by. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit later. You need to swim by. Temptation is the bait. We need to swim away. But it's not sin until you taste and then eat. You are hooked. And that's the second phase in the sin cycle, swallowing the bait. The phrase used in verse 15 is desire has conceived. Let me read you verse 15 again. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, this morning we talked about the pregnancy crisis center, and I hope that many of you will participate in that. We always try to give you little things that you can do that makes a difference. A lot of people doing little things makes a lot of difference, so that's one of those things. But it, it reminds us that one of the great miracles of life is giving birth. It's, uh, so, so, so in this area, because it's used, desire has conceived, that is a, uh, a verb that is used in the Bible when it's talking about giving birth to a baby. So this pregnancy analogy works. The ovum, or the egg, and the seed, when they become attached, something new is created. Now, follow me here. Temptation... And our own evil desires, our own evil desires, when they are attached, when the bait is swallowed, that gives birth to sin. That's what the text says. So nothing wrong, nothing wrong with temptation. We all experience it. Our own evil desire, that's the dangerous part. And when those two are attached, when the ovum and the, uh, 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 the sperm are come together, when those two things come together, that gives birth to sin. Now, several points here. Strong desire. We hear strong desire and we think negative. Don't. When you hear strong desire, think positive. Okay? Strong desire is from God. That sense of wanting desperately for something that will fulfill you, that's from God, okay? So it's whatever you attach that to. That's the key. 
A need to love and be loved. That is from God. Every human being has it. A need to love and be loved. Because that's who God is. So we are created in the image of God. We have that strong desire, that need to be loved and be loved. The key is not whether we have that desire. We do. It's what we attach it to. Do we attach it to God and His Son, Jesus, that gives us life? Or do we attach it to something else that we have come to believe that bait is food? We've come to believe this thing will satisfy me. If we attach to that, that leads to sin. So a strong desire can be a good thing. need to love and be loved. And a need for intimacy. We talked about in the last series that Intimacy is something that God has placed in each one of us. A desire, a deep desire for passion and love from God and from that person that He's put in your life. If you're married, a husband or a wife, that that deep passion is from God. And that's wonderful and it's beautiful. When we recognize that God's love has been set upon us, we embrace that. When we have that love and that passion for another human being, that legitimate way of expressing that is that physical and emotional intimacy. That is all from God. Need for significance. Strong desire in each one of us. See, all of those things, if they are attached to God and the legitimate way, way that we're supposed to experience life, for instance, if you're married, when we do it that, that way, that always gives birth to life. But when we attach it to something that we have come to believe is food, but it's only bait, that will give birth to sin. You see what the text is saying here? To me, this is really a powerful word. But when we attach that which is not from God, whatever you have come to believe will satisfy work, sex, possessions, words of approval, alcohol, gambling, food, gossip, feel good. And you add to the list. If your strong desire attaches to these, something is born and it is sin. Romans 6.16 Do you not know that whatsoever you... I'll, I'll just read it. Don't you know that when, you're off, when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. This is the cycle of addiction. That basically what this says is that we're going to attach ourselves to something. Either of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. What you choose to attach your own strong desire, which is legitimate, it's from God, what you desire to attach that to will either give you life, it will bring life, or it will bring death. The choice is ours. This text to me is so profound. In other words, the choice is ours. What we attach ourselves will give birth to death or to life. Let me say it this way. If you attach your strong desires to anything you have come to believe will satisfy, it gives birth to sin. Now, you can use an example of any sin. Uh, we were impressed once again at Midwinter Conference of the um, enormity of the problem in our world with sexual sin and even more specifically, uh, pornography. And... Um, when you use that as an example, it, it really comes alive, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain that to you. Sexual sin has touched every one of us, either personally or someone we know or love. Every one of us. I guarantee it. And this strong desire for intimacy, both emotional and sexual, this strong desire is from God. Nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. It's godly. Put in the proper context. Having that strong desire for God, that strong desire for a spouse, that's a beautiful thing. 
But as soon as that strong desire is attached to something that is another woman, another man, a pornography, you name it, anything else that's outside of this realm of life, that will lead to death. So you start with a marriage and there's some difficulty in the marriage and you're feeling a little bit disconnected from your wife. And, and so you have to start having a private conversation at work with the woman explaining your situation. And maybe that leads to more intimate times or maybe a, an affair or maybe it leads to pornography and, and, and all kinds of things start happening. And, 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 and the result of that union of your desire and that temptation becomes sin. And that, that sin becomes death. That, that's the progression of sin. At first, it's not noticed. You know, at first, it's just kind of a pleasant conversation. They had a conversation with a woman who was uh, chatting online. Her marriage was in difficulty, and she was chatting online with an old high school friend. And, well, I, I guarantee you <laughs> where that's going to go if it's not stopped. I guarantee you that if that bait is snatched and eaten, I guarantee you that will give birth to sin and ultimately that sin will give birth to death. Remember, it's bait. It's not food. Did you know that McDonald's puts not only salt but other chemicals in your food to make you feel more hungry after you eat it? They're brilliant. I mean, we know they're brilliant in marketing anyway, but they're brilliant. In that. So all fast food has MSG and salt and things that, things that make you feel like, well, I'm not, I'm, not hung, I'm not full yet. I'm still hungry. What do you think Satan wants to do? Here's what Jesus says. He says, I am water for those who are thirsty. I am bread for those who are hungry. I am wine for those who need communion. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection. You attach your strong desire to me, and I guarantee you that out of that will come life. Not only eternal life, but life here on this planet. If we attach our strong desire to anything else, anything that we have come to believe will satisfy us. Anything that we see as food that is really bait, that will give birth to sin. So the sin cycle is a strong desire, temptation, is enticed or connected to that which we believe will satisfy us, that bait. And then it's swallowing the bait. It's not food. And then the third step is when the bait is eaten, it leads to death. That baby that is born from the union of strong desire and that which we have come to believe will satisfy but is only bait, that union produces sin, it produces hunger, it produces addiction, it produces strongholds, it produces besetting sins. And now that thing, as it grows, might be seen as producing death. Listen once again to verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Several years ago, uh, a friend of mine in ministry, um, Mick, had a, uh, a daughter, Molly, her oldest, same age as my daughter. And 
Molly was going to be married to a young man by the name of Zach. And Zach grew up in a Christian home. Uh, he was in college at uh, University of Minnesota Duluth. They both went to. That's where they met. Uh, he was in InterVarsity. And, and so everything was good. And Mick and I uh, did the wedding together. And it was wonderful. And, but what we didn't know is that um, there was something that Zach had decided that he could not live without. There is something that he decided would satisfy him, that bait called pornography. And uh, even as a strong evangelical, even as one who was, had all the appearance of having a great life, uh, even when he got married, he was attached to that. And that ultimately led to other sin, going to other kind of strip clubs and then an affair. And ultimately, within two years, their marriage was destroyed. Do you see what I'm saying? When we have come to believe, we have a strong desire. Nothing wrong with that. We have a strong desire. And if we attach that to bait, not food, not food that God wants to provide, the bread of life and, and uh, the, 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 the water of life and all that Jesus has, but we decide that we're going to attach that strong desire to something else that is bait. It's not food. And we swallow that. And that produces sin. And that sin ultimately produces death. And that death seems like a dead thing, but that death that is produced is a live thing. That death that produces is a life thing because everything, listen, everything it touches dies. So here's, here's, here's Zach. His parents were brokenhearted, as you would expect. Molly, his wife, was devastated. Mick and Vicky, in-laws, devastated. Zach's friends, some of them who were Christians, said if a Christian behaves like that, I want nothing to do with Christianity. And so the devastation of the death went on and on and on and on. But it was just me and another woman. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Death produce, attaches itself to other things and it kills. So it's not just about your decision. I'm going to decide to get a divorce. I'm going to decide to be with somebody else. I'm going to decide to take this baby. It's only about me and about my decision. No, it's not. Because when sin is produced in you, it produces death. And that death attaches itself to other things and other people. That's the testimony of God's Word. There's an enormous power of deception. The sin cycle. We can't get out of it. Is there no hope? Well, friends, as I close, I, wanna, I have to close with the good news. And the good news is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. And believe me, this is news that you need to hear. Listen to what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus speaking in the temple. And He's speaking the words of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now, yes, He was talking about freedom for the prisoners, people who are in prison, but He was more talking about people who are in the prison of their own sin, who are locked up by their own sin. He said, I have come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's not just talking about physical bondage. It's talking about that. It's also talking about spiritual bondage. 
about those who have taken that bait, those who have swallowed that bait, those who have given birth to sin, and yes, even those who have given birth to death. There's always a chance for resurrection. Jesus was talking about in that same setting the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years in Jewish culture, every 50 years, there would be the year of Jubilee where all deaths would be forgiven. Would that be nice? (laughs) We'd like that. Let's make 2011 the year of Jubilee. All deaths were forgiven. All slaves were set free. And here's the neat thing about this text. The year of Jubilee is today. We don't have to wait 50 years. We don't have to wait only 49 more years and I'll be set free. You can be set free from the bondage of your own sin right now. I mean, at this very instant. And I'll tell you why. Because the good news of Jesus Christ, that He is coming not only to forgive you of your sins, but to set you free from your sins. To break the jail, break the bonds, and give you freedom from that which you have believed is food, but is bait. And you have swallowed it, and it has borne sin, and for some of you, it has actually given birth to death. God says, do not despair. My grace is amazing. You can be set free. Would you bow your heads with me, please?